This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast today. I'm going to tell you about a few quick things, and then we're going to get right to a great conversation. This episode is brought to you by Waypoint TV. Waypoint just introduced their live feature, and their live feature is a way that you can go and click on the live feed. And it's basically like shuffle. You go there, click that. You don't have to worry about selecting a show. They just start playing for you. You can keep it on in the background like I do. And sometimes you find some new cool shows. So go to waypointtv.com. Find out how to watch on all of your different devices. Recently, also, I want to tell you that I made a big mistake with the artwork for the podcast. And I had no idea that this was not allowed, but somehow I included a couple of logos in the artwork for the podcast. Apple didn't like that and it they rejected it. And I didn't know what to do. So all of a sudden the podcast just disappears from iTunes. Uh, you can't find it. It's gone. Everything is Everything is gone. I had no idea where to turn. So I called Libsyn. Libsyn is a service that hosts podcasts. They were incredibly helpful. And without their help, I really seriously don't know what I would have done. But Libsyn was incredibly helpful. So I just want to give them a, a quick shout out. If you guys are thinking about doing your own podcast or you already are, and you're unhappy with your service over there, check out these guys because they are the real deal. Finally, we have a website dedicated to the podcast, TomRolandPodcast.com, T-O-M-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com, TomRolandPodcast.com. You can go there and check out um, all the different stuff that we that's associated with just the podcast, including the new section that we've added there, which is the book club. Uh, almost all of the guests have books that they have either suggested on the air or off the air, books that have been important to them, books that they are currently reading. And we have a book club with my 
close personal friends, we have a book club that we read a book about every two weeks. And I've included all of these books on the podcast website. You can go to book club at the top. And I started to be a an Amazon affiliate. So if you want to participate in this book club and read the same books that we're reading, you simply go there, click buy now, and it will take you to Amazon. You buy it right through your account as normal. And Amazon is just nice enough to give us a little kickback, which supports the podcast. So if you're interested in the books, that's a great place to get them. So thank you very much for that. Now, on to a great conversation. Guides in general are a resilient bunch of people. Um, you wouldn't have been become a guide if you listened to everybody tell you no. I mean, my family told me no a million times. We don't take no for an answer. And that's part of the reason why we're, we've made the progress we've made in this fight. Daniel and Chris are fishing guides. Our base is fishing guides. We don't take no for an answer. And we know what's happening in the state is wrong. And so we're going to fight to make it right. My name is Benny Blanco, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. That was Benny Blanco. He's guiding 300 days a year, mostly in the Everglades. And uh, he is also passionately devoting his time to fighting for the health of the, of the Everglades. If you're familiar with this issue, this will be a lot of interesting and additional information to what we covered on the podcast before. If you're not familiar with the issues in the, in the Everglades, this will be a good primer for you to kind of understand the issues that are going on down there better and how important it is that we try to do something to, uh, to fix it. Benny recently won a conservation award that was given by Costa. We discussed that award as well as all of the water issues in the Everglades and his his uh, involvement in educating people and also taking action. There is a group that we continue to talk about a lot on this podcast and in this in this uh, interview with Benny, and that is Captains for Clean Water. Captains for Clean Water is a is a group that I uh, that gets my full support. It's um it's a bunch of fishing guides that. Uh, are actually taking action. So if you don't know what Captains for Clean Water is, you can go to captainsforcleanwater.org, check out their website. It's referenced many, many times in this podcast with Benny. And there's some videos up there. That way, Those videos are probably the quickest, easiest, most concise, and most accurate source of information on what's going on in the Everglades right now. So if you could, if you're interested, that's a great place to go. And, uh, and find out, you know, just what's going on. And um, if you like it and appreciate what they're doing, it'd be great if you could become a member or at least follow them on their social media platforms. That's, off, that's incredibly important because if there is something that needs to happen, like recently there was this bill that needed to pass, and uh, they, can, they can use their social media, their email lists, to get the word out to people so that they can take action. So Benny and I sat down, you know, he, he, he was fishing all day. He met me and he's really working hard. Benny is a hardworking guy. He's fishing all the time and he's also finding time to raise a family and finding time to fight for the Everglades. He's passionately pursuing what, 
what he knows is the is the right course of action. And I really enjoyed this conversation with Benny. I hope you will too. So stand by for Benny Blanco. All right. Captain Benny Blanco, thanks for coming, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. How was the fishing today? It was great. We caught a bunch of snook and redfish, yeah. which is a nice change of pace. Yeah. You know, the, the park hasn't been exactly wonderful this last couple of years because of our issues with water. Mm-hmm. And um, But on the days where we can we can target them and actually sight fish them, it's, you know, it's, it's wondrous. It reminds you of how it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been fishing the park all your life? My entire life. You grew up in Miami? Uh, I'd like to say I grew up in the park. Okay. Um, but I grew up in Miami, yes. So who introduced you to that? Um, my uncle and my father did by chance. Really? Um, they, they'll probably kill me for saying this, but they weren't <laughs> great fishermen. Yeah. They were great outdoorsmen. Yeah. And uh, they, they just gave me a taste, and that was all I needed to, to jump in full full steam. So they had a boat, obviously, and, and um, would get you out there on the weekends? or Yeah, my uncle had um, an old, old, old Hughes, mm-hmm. and he took me one time when I was really, really young, and I, I don't even know if we caught very much, but it was the, the separation from Miami. It was the separation from concrete. It was surrounded by trees and the, and the birds and the fish and just being completely captivated. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had to do something more there. That's all I knew. And I was drawn to it constantly. Um, I, w- I grew up playing sports and that was my first love. But as I became older, it became evident that I needed to spend more time in the Everglades National Park. And that's what I did. So that became a profession at what point? Um, I think it was not by choice. Really? Um, I, I, I was taking friends and jumping on friends' fathers' boats, and they quickly realized that I knew what I was doing, or at least had an inclination of what to do, and that led to you know let me pay for your gas, let me jump on, and then it led to let me give you a hundred dollars for today, to me realizing that this is something that I should probably explore more. I went to school at Georgia Tech mm-hmm. uh, in Atlanta for Georgia a year. Georgia Tech, really? I did. Right. Yeah, I wanted That's to be a school. I wanted to be a civil engineer. Uh, I wanted to do something with for the environment. Believe it or not, yeah. But I missed the water so deeply that when I came back, I just, uh, I jumped in and then it's all she wrote since. So I think Joe Simons from Salt Strong, an alumni of this podcast, he also was a Georgia Tech guy. That's a great school. Really great school. I know a lot of people that have gone there. So the the civil engineering, did you finish Georgia Tech? I didn't, no. And that's because you just had this calling for the water and you had to get back? Uh, between you and me, I think it was. I definitely wanted to finish school. There's no question. Uh, but, uh, you know, sitting behind a desk, what looking at a computer screen, becoming an engineer was not appealing. Um, and thinking about those snook and redfish and tarpon was. Mm-hmm. So it was an easy decision for me. And then once I, once I started and realized I could make some money doing it, uh, it wasn't a really hard twisting of the arm to, mm-hmm. to get to commit fully. Yeah. Did you have a boat that you could start out with or how did you, how did you make that happen? I didn't really. Uh, my dad had a little uh, 17 foot sailfisher, believe it or not. And uh, it was enough to get me on the water going. I had a little John boat uh, and that's what I did most of my exploring with, which is an excellent boat to explore mm-hmm. with. Yeah. And, uh, and then I bought my first Hughes light tackle, an old school light tackle uh, that was just beat your brains out, but <laughs> but it got me on the water, and I was able to entertain guests, and um, and that's what started it all. Yeah, and that's cool. And so so now, um, like right when you came in here, you said you're fishing um, 300 days a year. That's that's a heavy schedule. 
What's your family life like? Um, that's a that's a good question. You know, <laughs> uh, my my family is extremely supportive of what I do. It's been tough for the last couple of years because I've been one hundred percent invested in the fight for water, mm-hmm. um, which means we don't take vacations. Uh, which means I don't have two days in a row to be with them. It means we don't have a lot of expendable income because I spend it going places. And the family life is great in in the sense that, again, that they are fully committed and, and understand and, you know, they're in. Um, I spend my evenings doing homework. Every chance I can attend one of their accolade, you know, acknowledgements, I'm there. But it's it's been tough the last couple of years and it's going to be tough for the next couple of years because we're not even close to being close you know having a resolution yeah um so how old are your kids though before we move on to the I, water I, I have three daughters three daughters three daughters i have one daughter and two sons so how old are your kids so my youngest is 10 she's a sixth grader my middle one is 14 she's a freshman and then i have a 16 oh, about to be 16 she's a mm-hmm. sophomore in high school yeah i have a 15 just turned 15 and she's a sophomore that's a different deal because I had the two I had the two boys um, that are both now in college, and a lot of different challenges with with girls. Three girls. That's that's uh, interesting. My uncle had had five girls. Wow. Yeah, five girls. He just kept trying for the boy, and he just kept getting girls. Uh, sooner, I became wise up to the third one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he would he would say that. Um, you know, his life wouldn't be complete without all five of them, but he, he did keep trying for the boy and he kept getting the girls, but that's cool. So you just won this, um, this award, um, at the ICAST, at the ICAST thing, which was a, uh, captains for clean water and Costa gave an award for, for, um, a captain that, that is the most, um, involved in the fight for the Everglades. Is that what the award is? It was a conservancy <laughs> award. Um, captain, the, the concert, the award for captain with the most conservation, I guess, effort and for the year. Um, it was the first time they announced it. Uh, I was completely blindsided by it. Mm. Actually was speaking with Amanda from Costa <laughs> when they announced it. But, um, uh, and I, initially I was extremely thrilled and just in general that there was an award acknowledging conservation efforts right. because I, I don't think that we do enough of that. I'm happy to accept it in the sense that. Uh, it, it maybe will inspire some other people to want to get involved. Uh, I'm 100% behind that. Uh, but it is hard to accept an award for conservation when we're sitting in uh, you know, major issues in Florida Bay and my friends on the West Coast are dying because their businesses, they can't keep people on their boats and the green water is killing their fish and the red tide is killing fish. Uh, it's it's like, you know, the analogy I use is, you know, we're in a marathon and I, and I won the first heat and I just got a trophy. That's great, yeah. but we're in a marathon. And so I applaud Captains for Clean Water and I applaud Costa for, uh, you know, having the foresight to create an award to continue awareness and to maybe inspire more people to get involved. Um, but I'd, I'd definitely like for to use it as a springboard. Mm-hmm. I'd want to see more people like you, like uh, the leaders in the industry, get involved as much as possible. It's really important that our singular message is that we need to clean our water. Yeah. And we need to fix our water. And, and um uh, unfortunately, there are many, many captains, many guides, many industry people who don't want to talk about it much because they're afraid that it's going to send people away. And, and I understand that 100%. I, however, have adopted the other methodology, which is to educate my clients, to tell them about it, to encourage them to get involved, to make them become members of Captain's Clean Water, Bull Sugar, Everglades Foundation, to, to, to write their congressmen and senators 
because the only way we're going to get to a resolution is if we all stand together shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. I also think it's super important. I mean, I know from my own journey in this and, and fully understanding this issue, it, it really helped to sit down with Daniel Andrews from Captives for Clean Water and have him explain it. And he's been on the podcast twice now, and we've had tremendous feedback from the listeners who, from all different states and from all different, uh, even different countries, coming up with a with an understanding. And I'd like to talk to you about how you're explaining this to your clients and how you're explaining this to different people, because you're coming at this from a slightly different angle than, than, than I am being in Miami. We're down in the Keys. And again, for this, for the, the, the sake of, of this podcast, and, and there's some new listeners coming to this all the time, let's go over the, the overall issue, and, and particularly this summer, we're having really bad problems with the Caloosahatchee River, what's coming out of the Caloosahatchee River. So one of the things that I think um, a lot of the people, particularly that are familiar with the Florida Keys, and, and maybe that's the only place that they fish in Florida, and maybe it's Key West, and and this this whole issue is really you know to them they come in they come out everything looks great. We've had algae blooms there that are associated with this. It's very scary, and it was you know it was an eye opener to see that stuff come in, especially in the middle of tarpon season, and you got this green water. But you have a lot of areas in the Florida Keys where there are tons of fishing guides that that this this. All of what we're talking about has no effect on them whatsoever, right? Like if you have a, a guy that's maybe in Duck Key and all he does is go out to the reef and go sword fishing, he's not seeing any any effects of this whatsoever. However, you're having other people that are fishing in the Everglades and I guess in a nutshell, a lot of the bites in, in, um, in the Everglades, and I'm not telling you this, I'm just kind of tell, bringing the audience up to speed a little bit. There's a there's an issue in the Everglades of the water being far too well, not enough fresh water at all. So it becomes too salty. Hypersaline. Like yeah, hypersaline. So you're having like a it's like you had a, a a saltwater fish tank in your house and you just never add water to it. It gets lower and lower and lower. The salinity gets higher and higher and higher until absolutely nothing can live there. Uh, and you have weird algae and all kinds of weird things that are going on. At the same time. So when big storms come over, it seems like that would be a good thing. And it would be if you could if you could localize that rain right over Flamingo, right? Sure could. But if it's further up in the state and then it all collects into the Okeechobee area, you have a lot of issues with effluent. Well, well the the lake it's uh, the lake gets overfilled. Yeah. And when it gets overfilled, the the issue becomes that the dike can only stand hold so much water. Uh, so much height because it becomes it becomes a health risk. Obviously, if the dike breaks, then thousands of homeowners around the lake would be right. flooded, and uh, and that's the reason the dike was built um, back when that hurricane happened in the twenties, nineteen twenties. The problem with that is that when the lake overfills, they have to dump it, and when they dump it, there's no mechanism right now currently for them to capture that water to treat it and send it south to Florida Bay where it's supposed to be. They send it east and west, which is a not not a natural situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the Saint the Saint Lucie River and the Caloosahatchee never had flow from Okeechobee ever, but we've constructed that to be the case. 
And when that water comes out of Okeechobee, it's not just fresh water, which would be bad enough. It's, it's algae laden. Uh, it's high nutrient water and it hits the, hits both coasts and it causes chaos. Mm-hmm. And both coasts, oyster beds die, grass die. And now we're seeing a supercharged red tide, which, which no one wants to talk about it, but is absolutely supercharged by these, uh, these discharges from Lake Okeechobee. And you've seen the pictures, dolphin and turtles and, and I mean, every species imaginable dying that you've never seen die before. 100-pound tarpon. We instinctually avoid issues like that. And then in Florida Bay, we are completely starved of water. Mm-hmm. And they can't send that water south because we don't have the mechanism. But luckily last year, we were able to get SB10, which is the reservoir approved, uh, which is south of the lake. We are currently in, and, and we got funding from, we got the governor to sign off on it. And we got funding from the state, but it's a cost share situation where the federal government has to come up with their half. And we're part of that word of bill, which is supposed to be voted on next month. We've been to DC a couple of times advocating for, for that approval. Uh, Brian Mass from Palm Beach has been up there pushing it as hard as he can. And uh, it, once that, that portion gets approved, we can start building hmm. the reservoir. And that reservoir would be maintained so that we could capture the water, treat it so that we're sending clean water into the Everglades like it was supposed to be. Obviously, it's not a perfect situation. Um, it's not the original sheet flow of the Everglades. It'll never be that because we have Miami and several farms in the way. Um, but some sheet flow is better than none. In the situation like we had in 2015, when then we had no fresh water coming from the glades, that hypersaline situation caused... 40 to almost 50,000 acres of dead seagrass. And we're still dealing with those after effects because what happens when we lose seagrass is the infrastructure of the seagrass doesn't hold the silt down. So when there's any kind of wind event, the water gets muddy. When the water gets muddy, it prevents sun to, to, to nutrient the grass. And so the current grass that's there is having a trouble staying alive. And so um, it's a domino effect of issues that happen in Florida Bay that's directly related to the discharges that come out of the east and west coast. And uh, so, yes, you're right. There, there are guides south of us that, that don't see effects. However, I beg to differ in the sense that they will eventually see effects. Right. We know that there's, there's damaged uh, reef, reefs north of them. That's, that's only a matter of time before it heads down that way. We know that, that the algal blooms come down and go through the, through the, um, the bridges. You've seen it. Um, that cannot positively affect the reefs. Um, so my question isn't, isn't um you know how how do we how do we neutralize the problem north but my problem my question is how do we get everybody together to fight together because mm-hmm. eventually it's going to affect them don't you think that getting people together begins with education i mean i i do i'm 100 percent. so when you have i think this would be very beneficial and i would just like to know how you're doing it but when you have somebody that's not familiar with South Florida, how like a like a senator or an elected official, how are you educating them on this problem? Because you probably only have a small amount of their time. It's a very large and complex issue. Do you have your your elevator speech, so to speak, that that kind of in short form that you are able to? If you do, I'd like to hear it. Like, sure. Um, we, we meet with congressmen and senators all the time. Right. And everyone, time frame is different. When we don't have time, it's a very simple thing. It's the Everglades is being starved of fresh water. We need to fund the reservoir south of the lake so that we can capture and treat extra fresh water and send it south to solve our problem right now. Mm-hmm. And everyone agrees with that 100%. 
The long form is what I explained earlier. Um, and it can be even longer than that because the, the issue is not just the reservoir. There's, it's, there's so many complicated avenues uh, to the problem. Um, we have issues with the FWC and South Florida Water Management District spraying and treating canals all over the state of Florida, which, which, like which, for weeds or mosquitoes or what? For all of the above. Yeah. And, and that gets down into our aquifer. We have issues with fertilizers in our yards that were that we do innocently enough, uh, not understanding that that also goes down into our aquifer. We have issues with blockage of canals in the in the Okeechobee. We have we have uh, in the in the SERP program, which is that first comprehensive Everglades restoration pro, pl- plan that was approved twenty years ago. There are hundreds of projects. We've only finished one. And the one is the which? one is that is the bridging of the Tamiami Trail, okay. and and that was just a small portion of that bridging. Some of it has has been approved since, and um, so just knowing that there's a hundred projects, it even if we got the reservoir approved and and funded and built, we still don't have the mechanism to send it south. We still have all these other projects that we have to get done. So it's an extremely complicated project, it's a series of projects. There's no one silver bullet. I wish there was. Um, the reason we push the reservoir is because it it has the most immediate impact, the potential for the most immediate impact, and it's something that we could actually tangibly put our hands around. And it was part of the CERT project plan from the beginning, mm-hmm. and that's already been voted on, approved. and approved, and and everything. That's where that's where it really hit home with me when I was talking to Daniel, and he was like, "Look, if people knew about this and knew that this was already been voted on, they would be, you know, rioting in the streets like." This is something that has already been established, but nothing's been done. One thing's been done in 30 years. It's, it's a constant struggle with, um, with the red tape involved between a plan that gets approved and when it actually gets done. Uh, because there are so many different agencies that have a say in what happens and where it goes and what it does um, that, it's ex- that it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of those agencies their directors and their boards are appointed by a governor who's influenced by special interests. I, I, I hate to get political, but the, that's the, that's the, the problem is our, our political will isn't for us. Our political will is definitely special interests. And this election in November is critical for us. Uh, we have to have an AG and we have to have a governor who are pro environment. Otherwise we stand to, to lose our estuaries. I mean, we're on the brink already. And so are there people that are in line to run that, that you feel strongly about? There are uh, on both sides of the tail. Um, DeSantis is the Republican who, who has been fighting with us hand in hand. He's running against Adam Putnam. And Putnam is, has proven to be someone who takes a lot of money from those special interest groups that we spoke of. And uh, for AG, uh, I don't have someone to recommend because there are some really, really good, great ones. But... Matt Caldwell is the one that I would highly recommend against because he's been part of that that flow of money that that we have pr- that has proven over the years and up and down the scale to all the way to Washington D.C. dictates what the what happens um, politically afterwards. I think if we can separate ourselves from those special interest groups in a, in a massive way, that we can make some positive change, ha- change, change happen immediately. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's just blue sky it. Um, and say that that everybody comes together, and the the people that are supportive of this issue get elected. 
in in your opinion, you blue sky it. What what happens then? What's the best case scenario that we can that we can hope for right now? So our best case scenario is that we have a South Florida Water Management District board that is uh, appointed who are made up of scientists, biologists, and people who understand the flow of water and not farmers who stand to benefit off of water. It would also mean that our reservoir is on a fast track, which can absolutely happen. Uh, We've done everything in our power to make that possible. And if our reservoir is fast-tracked, we we could look at a reservoir being built and operational in two years. Blue Sky would also mean that the projects, the four or five projects between the reservoir and the top of the Everglades, uh, the top of Taylor Slough on the east side of the Everglades, uh, are completed. And that can all happen at the same time. That would be Blue Sky, which means that we'd be safeguarded to an extent for those perfect storm situations that we had in 2015. Um, so that when we have a drought, we have south wind and and there's no rain and we have that hypersaline situation, we've got water to send to Taylor Slough. And mm-hmm. so, so we can we can, you know, fresh water, send fresh water to Florida Bay. In two thousand fifteen, if we'd have had the reservoir, we, we certainly would have still had some issues because that was crazy, you know, perfect storm of situation. But it would have been much smaller and controlled in the sense that it wouldn't have been an ongoing eight month die of seagrass it would have been a month and we would have recovered but um so blue sky is a two-year plan Mm -hmm. to have to have and 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 as part of that plan and what the rest of the state needs to understand is when the reservoir is operating it also means that we're not sending as much water east or west in a perfect situation we fix all the cert plan and there's never any water sending east and west but right away blue sky that the reservoir is built and a third of the of that water going east west doesn't go. Yeah, a third would certainly help. I would I would imagine that would be a lot better than the pictures that I see where the floodgates are just wide open, right? For sure. And then then we see what the effects are, and it seems to be more more obvious, at least on the on the west coast than it is on the east coast. Is that is that right? That they're out of the Caloosahatchee. We're having more immediate issues from this, certainly this summer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exasperated by the red tide. Uh, the red tide is a natural occurring thing. It occurs way offshore, usually. Unfortunately, this year, with the amount of nutrients that we've, we've flushed into the West Coast from Okeechobee, that red tide has, been, has, been, has blown up. And 160-something miles of red tide beat on the beaches. Something like 3 million... Uh, pounds of dead fish have been removed from Charlotte County. Yeah, that's. I mean, that I don't know how to explain that, Tom. That's 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 a family's vacation ruined. That's you know that's a, a you know a little boy's first fish. You know, it's it's um, we can't as Floridians, we can't let that happen anymore. Yeah, uh, red tide is natural, and we deal with it, and and you know, we've learned over the years to get around it, no problem. But to have 160 miles of it is unacceptable, in my opinion. It should be a rally cry for the entire state of Florida to stand up and say that's enough. Yeah. No more special interests. And it, and it really should be something that, that gets other people besides just anglers, bird watching, you know, eco-tour type people interested in, in a solution. Because this is real estate, restaurants, hotels, bed tax. That's that all of a sudden gets right. some some real. I mean that 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 starts 
putting up some red flags to some people that this is this is a fiscal disaster right that which is which is honestly where we had to go to get everybody involved we had an issue we had uh the discharges in 2013 and it, and it and it caused some major chaos but they dissipated and everybody forgot about it uh, again in 2015 mm-hmm. uh, we had issues and 2016 and now this year's the worst year and um I really feel like we had to get to this point for everyone, including real estate and hotels and restaurants and uh, bait shops and paddleboard shops, et cetera, involved. Uh, this is the first year that it's actually hit their business, their pocketbooks with a, with a, with a bang. And I think it's this year is going to result in issues next year and the year after that, because we're getting national attention now. And, um, and people came this year who are never going to come back again. Um, because from, you know, from a family in Colorado, if they're going to come to South Florida, it costs them almost the same to just go to the Bahamas. And they do. Again, as a Floridian, we can't let that happen anymore. This, right. you know, our, our tourism is everything. Well, I think that the education part is, it's super important to educate, um, guides and, and anglers who are sharing this experience with other, other people and that, that have an educated voice so that they can, they can explain this problem on a scientific level, like this is what's happening. You're getting lots of fresh water going out the sides of Florida, no fresh water going where it, where it normally is. You're having high salinity here. You're having fresh water, pure fresh water where there, it should be salt water. That's the, that's the simple, simplistic explanation of what's going on that causes all kinds of problems. If you can educate a lot of the fishing guides so that they can speak, speak well to, to their very influential customers who a lot of times might be elected officials. I mean, right. lots of people like to fish down here. But the education process, in my mind, goes way beyond that to, like, to that family that comes down and there's there's miles of dead fish on the beach. Like, what is going on and why should they care if they're in Missouri? We've slowly, over the last couple of years, not slowly, actually pretty accelerated rate, when you can when you look at the overall fight for the Everglades and the water in Florida in the last couple of years, Daniel Andrews and Chris Whitman have done an awesome job of rallying the troops, so to speak, um, but doing it based on science. Mm-hmm. And uh, they collaborate with organizations like Bonefish Tarpon Trust, Everglades Foundation, Everglades Trust, Florida Oceanographic, uh, Riverkeeper Alliance, all of the organizations that base all of their claims, all of their data on science. And um, because it's easy to get confused um there are there are when when you're dealing with special interests they have the money to to spread the news they want to spread and they do so uh that's been one of the hardest things for us is to keep our eye on the ball because of what we know we we know uh based on the scientists that we we've spoken with um the people who with with the best interests of florida in, in mind as opposed to special interests so we over the years, over the last couple of years, it's been a push to make sure every guide, everyone, every angler in the state of Florida, every visitor from the state of Florida has a chance to get that direct information. They can do so by going to Everglades Foundation or Captains for Clean Water or or Everglades Trust or, or Bull Sugar and getting the the direct facts as opposed to what they might read on the internet, which, which could be influenced by anyone. Right. Yeah, and that goes right to the polls, right? I mean, that that influence ultimately goes right to the polls, and there's a lot riding on both sides. Yeah, man, it's 
it's such a it's such a complicated issue and it's so it, it's just heartbreaking to hear the fishing guides certainly right this summer on the west coast just telling the stories of what they're seeing and just dead fish for miles and the 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 videos on instagram of just idling down these i mean they're as wide as a football field to to the horizon yeah so i i get messages on being one of the guys on the front line um i i i get associated with someone to speak with when there's there's an issue like that and so i get messages and calls pretty regularly as i'm sure daniel and chris do you know and they're heartbreaking uh the good news is that as bad as it is it is only temporary Mm. Um, because at at some point we won't have the the influx of rain and we'll be able to manage the water and it'll go away now hopefully we we've enough people have been influenced by it to take that to november and and vote correctly but it is only temporary so uh while i i talk about bad water all the time and i am and i beg people to get involved and and I show them these videos and we see the videos on Facebook. I do want to encourage people to to know that it's it's only temporary. Florida still is an unbelievable sport fishery. Yeah. These guys who are dying, you know, watching these fish float and their clients not come are finding areas where there are fish and they they make a living cuz guides in general are a resilient bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um you wouldn't have been become a guide if you listened to everybody tell you no. Right. I mean, my family told me no a million times. <laughs> um, we don't take no for an answer, and that's part of the reason why we're we're we are we've made the progress we've made in this fight. Daniel and Chris are fishing guides. Our our base is fishing guides. We don't take no for an answer, and we know what what's happening in the state is wrong. Uh, we're going to fight to make it right. But the uh, the the message I was just trying to get across is that is that you know yes, it's pretty horrible right now, and we need to have uh, more people get educated on the issues, to go to Cabbage Clean Water, go to Everglades Foundation, read about the issues, become educated enough to take that to the polls, but to know that, you know, that the fishing is still going to be great, that, that this is only a temporary situation, um, and that we definitely need people to come and, and visit our fishing guides. Yeah. Well, that's, that's certainly very true, and one of the reasons why I, um, I got along so well with Daniel and, and really, I don't know, the time that I spent with him earlier this year, I was just very impressed with his um, ability to keep things on the positive. Mm-hmm. And we went out, we had a great day of fishing. We were fishing in, uh, you know, up in the Everglades on purpose. We wanted to go up there, saw some things we had never seen before. We saw permit places that never seen a permit before. It was great. But his ability to keep things positive, even when he's on the front lines like you are and, and, you know, people are sending him these videos and people are sending him these these reports of what's going on. He's still, and you still, are remaining very, very positive. You're fishing 300 days a year, so you're obviously not fishing in bad water. You're able to find water, and that's that's the message that 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 needs to go out there as well, just like what you said, that the fishing, like after Hurricane Irma, the fishing was as good as it ever has been in my opinion i mean it was dynamite it was crazy good yeah and i think that's what happens a lot with hurricanes is that it it makes everything man-made suffers everything natural benefits uh to an extent but this issue it's like this nagging little thing that that kind of goes away a little bit and then it comes back and it kind of goes away a little bit and then it comes back and it seems like if we just handle it 
and get get the ball rolling sure that that's the idea that that our children our grandchildren will be able to experience an everglades like like we always have yeah. well, for years for decades the predominant methodology was to not talk about it so that people mm-hmm. would still come but we're past that and um it's a nagging issue that comes back you're absolutely 100 percent correct but it's progressively getting worse and we have to address it and we have to fix it we have the momentum now we've made some serious progress over the last couple of years and uh, i really feel I'm, I'm super optimistic to the fact that we've already seen after 2016 in stewart on the st lucie river we saw replanting of oysters and grass and was coming back hmm. um and i think that's why everyone's really upset because they you know they really placed a high effort on on refurbishing the area and it was coming back so this year in december i the audubon uh issued a report that it was the best year on record for on record in the history of record keeping of uh ne- nesting for wading birds mm. in the everglades and they attribute that some some of that to the raising of the tamiami trail so there is huge hope that if we could just fix a few things if we can send some more water south, if we can stop sending it east and west, if we can address the spraying, if we can address the fertilizers in general, that we could have a huge positive impact in the Everglades. And in fact, I tell this to my clients all the time. No one that I know has been was alive when we actually had freshwater sheet flow from Okeechobee. It's been blocked since the 20s. We don't even know what kind of positive effect that would be. It might be beyond our wildest dreams. Right. So Even I, a little bit. I hold on to that hope all yeah. the time. Um, and the other thing I want to say about the guides in Florida, we're, we're professionals. I, I think the misconception uh, throughout the planet is, you know, a fishing guide is a guy who sits on the back of his john boat with a cane pole and, a, you know, overalls, and that is not the case. Hmm. You know, fishing guides are dynamic. You met Daniel. You know, uh, we we are educated in general. You know, we are businessmen. We're obviously marketers. We're great customer service. You know, we're, we don't take no for an answer. Self-driven. Uh, we're professionals, and if and if you call your fishing guide and and he's in a bad area and he tells you he can put you on fish, I would trust him. Yeah, you know we 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 know what we're doing. So um, my message would be that we need help. We need people to get educated. We are making huge progress. We're very optimistic. We have some major issues, but we're pros, and so rely on us to come down and have your vacations and catch fish. Yeah, well, there's there's plenty, plenty of great fishing. It's it's. I don't know. We've had some of the best fishing this year that I can that I can remember, and partly that's because of the hurricane. But I mean, it's been it's been fantastic, and and actually, even up in the Everglades, it's been uh, it's been quite quite good. As, as has that been your experience? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Do you fish mostly in the Everglades? Um, yeah. So I'm pretty flexible. Uh, I grew up fishing Biscayne, mm-hmm. so I have no problem going to Biscayne. But but I made my name, so to speak, in Everglades National Park, fishing Florida Bay and the backcountry. Uh, what's what's missing for me the last couple of years is that sight fishing in Florida Bay, specifically snake bite and the, and the mm-hmm. bites that that doesn't exist right now because the water is dirty and yeah. there's no grass to clean it. Um, and so those clients that come from all over the planet to fish that sight fishing, I take them to Biscayne. We catch bonefish and permit. And, and that's been fantastic. Um, fishing in general in the glades has been great. It just depends on what you want to do. But again, we were professionals, so we know how to make those adjustments. Yeah, um, there's there's no place like the Florida Keys um, for diversity and variety of fishing. And plus, then you have 
you have so much tidal difference between the Oceanside and Flamingo and Biscayne Bay and Key West. I mean, you can find an incoming tide basically anywhere and the right water depth for what you're looking for throughout, I mean, 150 miles of it, right? right so right. there, there's a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of good news coming from, from Florida. But, you know, this is, this is something that people definitely have to be aware of. And I like, I like so much the approach of, look, I don't even know why this is happening necessarily. I mean, like you, you said, it's a lot of factors. It's stuff we, we put on our own lawns. It's, it's, uh, it could possibly be mosquito spray. And, and if they didn't spray for mosquitoes in the state of Florida, not a lot of people would be living in Florida. Certainly not as many as, as we are when, sure. when we were fishing with, uh, with Richard Black, uh, we were on East Cape Canal and, and he was, he knows a lot about the Everglades and he, he was saying, yeah, you know, they, you know why they built this? And I said, well, no, actually I don't. And he was like, well, it was for cattle. You know why it didn't work? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm waiting for the, this good story. And he's like, well, the cows kept suffocating because the mosquitoes would be so thick that they would go in their nose. So there's probably some need to spray. Like otherwise people are going to leave the state of Florida. If you're going to suffocate cows with a number of mosquitoes, there's probably a need to, uh, sure. and you you put in in Flamingo. I mean, that is, they don't spray for mosquitoes there, and there are a lot of mosquitoes. But it's so many factors, and I like the approach of not pointing fingers and not saying, oh, it's all their fault over there. No. It's more seeking a solution, and that's, that's, that's what I want to get behind is – I want to get behind the seeking the solution, not the finger pointing and the and the uh, being upset with one group or another. It's like everything I want to do is moving towards a solution, and I felt like that is exactly what what Captains is, is doing. Captains for Clean Water and all the work that you guys are doing up in in Washington is moving towards a solution of getting something done that has already been voted on and already been in place, but just no work has been done. So what do you think has to happen to to actually see work being done? I mean, we talked about Blue Sky and we talked about electing the right people, but even at that point, are there other challenges that that we that we might expect even if the elections go like i love those signs that are like republican democrat water like that's that's cool and you see those in people's yards and what that means is look who cares what party you're for vote for whoever's going to fix or be in support of this water situation i think it's a it's a combination of things um obviously the the election is important because that that'll dictate you know who's managing the district and the district is the one building the reservoir um, and they're also uh, they will also work hand in hand with the army corps of engineers with regard to the, the other projects in the in the cert program so the the election is, is super important um, the second thing that i i truly believe that we have to come to some type of compromise or agreement is there there needs not be there need not be a separation between fishermen and farmers and there's a lot of that because, like you said, there's a lot of finger pointing. And the reality is I have to believe, I fully believe that a healthy Everglades and a healthy sheet flow is beneficial to all. Mm. Um, it's beneficial to our, our, um, our, our water. 
uh, for for the city of Miami for people's consumption. Uh, it's it's beneficial to um, the farmers for their fields and and the health of their crops, and it's certainly beneficial to the Everglades, which affects all of our tourism. The more separated we are, the more divisive we are. The long, the the easier it is for them to keep us from getting that resolution. So I'd love to see. I think everyone on our side would certainly love to see a collaborative effort in pushing for the CERT program to be finished and operational and and successful because a healthy Everglades means good for everyone. Some of the farmers, though, I mean, part of why this reservoir, why there's resistance against this reservoir is because that's a massive piece of land that's being used right now. Is that correct? Sure. Uh, but there are, so there, it's, it's it would, linking, um, putting all the farmers into one basket, it would be like linking all the fishermen into mm-hmm. one basket. You know, there's offshore and there's inshore and there's sight fishermen and there's bait fishermen. There's a million different ones. And, and um, a lot of the farmers are good people and they manage their water correctly and they, they don't burn their crops and they, and they don't, um, you know, they, they, they're very conscious of what they put back into the ground because obviously their crops depend on it. But there are a, another group of farmers who are part of that special interest group who absolutely do not care. And they only care about their bottom line. And they're extremely greedy in that regard. And that's why we're in the problem we're in. So I don't want to link the farmers in one group. The, the EAA, which is uh, in, in mostly south of the lake, they've been great uh, in general with managing their water and managing what comes out of their, their properties. But, um, but overall... We'd like to see the EPA, the regulations that we that were put in place 20 years ago, continue. We'd love to see that be regulated and enforced. And if it is, then then we have a better situation in general because it holds all of them to an equal standard. And again, if we can fix the if we can fix the CERT program and and and, and manage those regulations correctly, then we can see a healthy Everglades eventually. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. What about the the timeline, and and are there other challenges with getting? I, you said it was the Corps of Engineers that would be building the reservoir. That's correct. Once once they get the green light, so they have to get the green light from who? They have to get the green light from the feds. Uh, so right now, it's part the the funding the eight hundred million that is that is the federal cost share for the reservoir is part of the WERDA bill, which is the overall water bill for the entire country. And that's what that's what we were pushing out so hard uh, on social media just the last couple of weeks. Right. The, the the form on on Captains for Clean Water, if you were following our social media and many, many other people's social media, you're being asked to write a letter to your congressman or elected official. And it was a, a form letter that, that you just kind of put where you put your address in there and, and you send this letter asking your elected official to support this bill. Right. If they do support this bill, then that gives the green light to the Corps of Engineers to go ahead and break ground and start building this? That's correct. Okay. And is there anyone using that land right now? No. So it's just sitting empty, waiting. Currently, it's all state-owned land. Okay. The original SB10 proposal included some of the sugar land. The South Florida Water Management District tried to tell us that they made every effort to swap because we had other state owned several other properties that they could swap. It just wouldn't happen. So the reservoir itself shrunk. The The footprint is different, but it's all state owned land. It's ready to be built. 
immediately. There's nothing holding us back. Do you have any concern over the funding of this? Like the money's supposed to be there, right? Do so the state know of Flo- that it is there. The state of Florida has already guaranteed their 800 million. Okay. They've already actually said that they would start building theirs once they got indication that the feds would come up with their with their portion. So so in, in a sense Florida has done everything they can. We, as a, as a state, we have done everything we can. We've begged, and now we're asking for for the feds to to commit to their eight hundred million. Based on what we experience in DC, uh, we're pretty sure it's going to happen. But it has to happen, uh, and and until they sign that dotted line, we can't start. So, um, it seems like eight hundred million dollars from the state of Florida could build a pretty good sized reservoir. If you had another eight hundred million dollars, is there a way that Florida could go ahead and start without they could federal support they could but remember that the reservoir well the, we haven't discussed this but the reservoir has to be built correctly um a reservoir isn't just yeah a, why, don't, why don't you explain what the reservoir exactly is going to do obviously sure. there's a lot of extra water mm-hmm. it has to go somewhere and then this is a place where it's going to be treated right it can't be just a bathtub right to hold water it has to have stas which are treatment areas and which is made up of fo- different foliage, which which is proven to take out nitrates and phosphates, and um, it has to have be, it has to be treated. But there's a there are a few methodologies for how the reservoir needs to be built. Some people think it should be built very deep, which is extremely expensive. Some people need to think it needs to be built very shallow, which is expensive because it has to be wide. Right there, are, but the reservoir that's proposed right now has to be built with a certain amount of STA. Otherwise, you have for lack of a better analogy, you have a, a big swimming pool with a filter as big as your thumbnail. Mm. And that can only that can only move so much water. So the SDA has to be appropriate. So $800 million sounds like a lot of money, but it really isn't. The, f- the full 1.6 needs to be funded in order for it to be built correctly. Because if we don't build it correctly, then we stand to do more damage than not having it. Mm-hmm. Because we can't send the algae water into the Everglades. That would right. be worse. Yeah. And that's that's been that's been something that I've seen a lot of people asking. Like, how do we know that this solution is going to be better than the problem that we currently have? Because right. you, I'm sure you know as well as I do that a lot of times when man gets involved in trying to fix a problem, mm-hmm. like there's an introduced species, so let's introduce another species to kill that species, and right. it just and both blow up. You know, sometimes right. they don't realize one's nocturnal and the other, right. you know, whatever. Uh, that's been one of my questions is once, if, if this reservoir is built, how is that, is that sheet flow, that laminar flow, even if it's, even if it's 10% of what it once was, how is that like distributed into the Everglades? What's the plan on that? Like, is it just, I mean, it wouldn't just be one pipe and hopefully that it just kind of right. seeped out like this. Right. Is so the, that, there are several projects between the reservoir and Taylor Slough. That the, that would have to be constructed and in in simultaneously while the reservoir was being built, so that that water could be distributed into a sheet flow again. Mm-hmm. But sheet flow occurs over sawgrass, right? You know, and over the natural situation that the Everglades creates, just by so, the water percolating up, and then correct. Then, it's 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 on limestone, which yeah. is which is which is a natural percolation. And so, what we have to restore is that flow from the top, and the Everglades does the rest for us. But the, my answer to your question about about how do we know that the reservoir will work is we already have STAs in, plant, in, in place, several of them actually. Uh, they're used as duck ponds constantly. 
because they, the foliage that's there is, is conducive to, to ducks and other wildlife and wading birds. And so this is just a bigger scale and it allows us to capture extra water in situations where we would have, we'd have to open the dike, open the water and send it out east and west. So it's a much bigger scale. And again, it was part of the CERT plan from the beginning because it was the, it was the central piece of the CERT plan. Uh, in, in order to, to convey more water in a, in a bigger form down through the Everglades. So we know the SDAs work. Uh, we know that conveying more water requires a bigger SDA. So the, the 1.6 is necessary in order to build it. And then we know that there are other projects between there and Taylor Slough that have to be constructed. The Tamiami Trail being one of them, and that one is fairly done. Although there's still some, there's still some more work to be done west of, of where Miccosukee is currently. Mm-hmm. So... Assuming the reservoir is built and the STA is built correctly and those other projects are done, then we would have some sheet flow again. Um, and it would be somewhere near 10% of what it would normally be. Yeah. And that water is getting into the areas that it needs to be, the Rankin, Garfield, Snakebite, all that is benefiting from from that small amount? I mean, ideally, 10%, uh, some of it is getting down there? Ideally, so, um, you know, the, the reality is we've never seen water mm-hmm. flow south. So what we know is based on what how the rain flows. And uh, and we know when it rains, it comes out of Garfield Bite, and it comes out of the other bites, naturally. And so we would simply be adding water to that situation. So um, it's, we're pre- I mean, I'm fairly certain that that water flow on that east side in a dry season would be fantastic because yeah. uh, I've seen it. But again, we've never, we've never been in a situation where we've had general flow on the east side. It could be phenomenal. But, the, but getting the reservoir right and getting the STA right is absolutely critical. Um, and we have, we, you know, we've been dealing with roadblocks since we've got it approved because of the current format of, of, and administrators that are involved. So those roadblocks, like you're saying that in the, in the, bo- the boards and other administrators, like of what? The South Florida Water Manager District, okay. Army Corps of Engineers. And, it seems and, like there's a lot of moving parts that, that that's kind of what I was trying to ask. And, I, and I, I guess I didn't know how to ask it exactly. But just getting the elected officials in there in November, like that's going to be a huge win. Mm-hmm. That's the driver for but all it, of this. But it's not like you flip the switch and all of a sudden the bulldozers go over there and start start building this this pond no it's a fast track basically because what we've experienced till now because of the current administration and its its longevity is just roadblocks um we've never had a fast track Uh, we've we've only had a fast track in the last couple years because of our efforts now when you say the current administration you're talking about the florida administration or federal administration a little bit of both but mostly florida the south florida water management district board is is appointed by the governor the army corps of engineer listens to both um, so we have to eliminate that connection to special interest in that, in that central piece. And if we do, then, then, then we rely on science again. Mm. And we know that when we rely on science, we can actually get some things done correctly. Um, obviously, the Army Corps Engineers hasn't been great with a lot of things in the Everglades. Uh, we've seen that and experienced that. I don't know how much of that was dictated by special interest or not, but I know that we have good science now. Independent scientists that are funded by companies that have nothing to do with any special interest. Uh, who are telling us that we have to restore water flow. And so I, I fully believe that if we can elect the right people in November, that we can fast track some of those projects that will help us immediately. Mm-hmm. And we can see some positive change in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's incredibly optimistic. And I really like that so much because like, like you say, 
with just a little bit of fresh water, I think the Everglades would would explode with life and be maybe better than we've ever seen it in our in our lifetime. And if that could be kind of expanded over the years uh, with with more cooperation, and I think don't you think it all boils down to um, on a federal level, like if if the economy of Florida goes through the roof because the the ecosystem is healthy and uh, tourism is up and commercial fishing is better and on and on and on down the line that that really opens people's eyes to maybe this situation in a in a way that they're not currently looking at it absolutely yeah. uh, so um, there we know what the tourism industry is in the state of Florida mm-hmm. Every, everyone relies on it whether you're in tourism or not um, because it affects everything mm-hmm. in the state I'd like to think that we have the ability to be the model for the rest of the country on how we take back control of our water. We make in the environment and protecting it a, a priority because we're not the only state in, in, the, in the country that has problems with water. As a matter of fact, I don't know a single state that doesn't have a problem with water. Right. Some too much, some too little, some not at any at all, some diverted. It's all about But there's water always rights. a water issue. It's, it's a water rights issue and, uh, and it's throughout the entire country and, and special interests are winning throughout but what they underestimate is the power of the people and in the state of florida we love our water mm-hmm. we we are here because we love water um i would have been at georgia tech if i didn't love the water the way i do <laughs> so we're gonna fight for it and we again we have the ability to be the model for the rest of the country and we november is when we just when we make that statement and we i think i think it's going to be a huge turnaround uh with regard to how we treat our water and how we protect our our ecosystems and estuaries and watershed, and um, I I, I want to believe that it's it's a it's going to be a first step to a brighter future for our state, and and like you said, it's going it, to the you know the domino effect is is amazing. Um, you know, if our economy will boom again, unfortunately this year we're it's going to be down. Well, it's down, but for a lot of factors. I mean, the hurricane was was a huge factor in sure. in uh, in in any tourism dollars being down. I mean, there were areas of the, the state that were basically closed. I mean, not even right. the residents could get into the Florida Keys. So there's, you know, three weeks off of having everything closed. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So sure. I mean, I think this year's an outlier, in my own um, opinion. But uh, yeah, I would like to. I would like to think that that the best days for Florida are are just ahead, just over the horizon right now. So you started this new show of your own, right? I did. Um, long story short, uh, I've I've been uh, I've had a relationship with Florida Sportsman for since the beginning. Yeah. You know, before there was social media, that you know everyone bought a little tiny ad in the back of the magazine and mm-hmm. hoped that you'd get some trips from it. And um, I did some shows with them uh, a while ago, and and Blair called me for to, to take over a show that he had an idea for and um and i just uh, i'm i'm not a fan of the current format of shows um that you know revolve around sponsorship promotion and and talking about how great the fishing is and when i'm you know hurting inside for what's happening to florida bay and my buddies on the west coast and so i said look I, the only way i'm going to do a show is if we can talk about the water and we can further this this movement for clean water and um it took some some you know wrangling but that's the 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 premise of the show it's a conservation-based show Uh, we're going to go into every single florida fishery that is 
that is dealing with a water issue, which is every single Florida fishery. We're going to lean on the biggest voices in those areas, and we're going to tell the story of those areas. We're going to tell a story of, of what's happening currently, how great it was, how great it is right now. We're going to show how great it is right now so that people inherently want to come visit and they want to help. And that's the entire premise of the show. And, and, and hopefully we can raise some awareness in places that we ordinarily wouldn't and further that conversation about water uh, because it needs to, needs to get outside of our industry. Mm. It needs to be outside of just the fishing guides. How many shows have you filmed? We haven't filmed any actually. Oh yeah, yeah. We, it started. We've just we've just filmed uh, the little sizzle that's been all around the internet, and we have our first advisory panel meeting next month. Uh, actually, in a couple of weeks, um, we're we're doing it in right in my mind in the sense that we're involving some of the the science based organizations I mentioned earlier to be involved in the in in the ideas for the for the shows, so that a we're completely factual um, because it benefits no one to get out. On a, on a national level and talk about something that's not mm-hmm. correct. And two, um, we want to make sure that we're hitting the, the, the areas that need to be talked about and the discussion that needs to happen again, so that we can just further the conversation. And where do you think it will air? Uh, it will air on world fishing network, uh, sun sports and Fox sports. So this, you, you intend to have it on the air in January. It'll be on the air in April, oh, okay. 2019. Okay. Cool. So you have a little little time, yeah. and have you been um, like uh, you've got an idea of how how the shoots are going to go and where you're where you're headed? And I mean, you you seem to yes. you seem to know the areas that you're going. But um, do you storyboard those? What's the process? Yeah, for sure. We um, it's going to. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm already a military style organized organized person as it is. So I, the first step is that advisory council, but. I've already discussed shows with Phil Pilot and Mosquito Lagoon, uh, with Will Benson and Key West, uh, with CA and and Tampa. Uh, There's a few others that we're working on, but without a doubt, there'll be storyboards. We will, in every area that we go into, we're going to promote prior to, to have a town hall, so to speak. So when we go to Mosquito Lagoon, we're going to have, we're going to have, you know, a a party, so to speak, where everyone's invited to talk about water, to tell us their stories. Um, we want everyone to be involved in the show because the show's not about fame or money because, uh, let's be honest, both of them are, aren't great. The show is really about furthering this movement. And I want everyone to feel like they're involved because they are. Uh, the more people who come and tell us their story and get educated on the actual facts, the more great information we have going out to the general public. And that's what we want. And um, and so, you know, uh, we have 12 shows that we plan on shooting potentially 13 for next year. And um, the areas that are struggling right now will, will definitely get airtime. Uh, Daniel Andrews and Chris Whitman will be on a show probably. We're looking to do a show in, in Florida Bay and back of Isla Mirada at, at some point, or maybe even next month. Uh, Apalachicola with David Magnum and um, uh, Brett Martina to talk about the issues with their paper mill and their water rights issues with Georgia. There are water issues throughout the entire state, and all of our fisheries are suffering because of them. Uh, again, our fisheries, our fishing is insanely good because we're the state of Florida and we're the sport fishing capital of the world. But we have to, we have to, in general, take control back of our water. Yeah, but I guess the message is really: if you take control back from the water, you can take a fishery that is outstanding right now and make it better than it has ever been in our lifetime. And if that 
revolves around the entire state. I didn't even know about the Apalachicola paper mill situation. I, I have to look into that. But that's the message that I that I keep putting out there is is that the fishing is as good as it's well it is it is outstanding and with a little help it can be better than ever and with a little help we can also make sure that the problems that we're having right now are at least minimized if not prevented from happening in the in the future well that show sounds sounds really good and you got some incredible guests lined up that should be that should be fun do you have a much tv experience have you done you've been doing some shows with florida sportsmen unfortunately i've done a lot of shows flats class (laughs) i've seen you on flats class i have um i've done many many shows Uh, i'm not afraid of the camera at all in this case i would be even less afraid or nervous because um it's a it's we're setting the show up to be it's culture based Uh, again i'm not i'm not selling any anyone's product Mm -hmm. um i'm just telling the truth about uh, a fishery that needs help and as you can tell that's my passion yeah so when you're being truthful and you're being passionate it's it's easy to to make something happen and um uh it, if if all goes right the fishing will be so great in these shows that people will want to help and that's my goal it's the only reason i decided that i would do the show again because i fish already too much and i'm already away from my family too much so this isn't going to help <laughs> but but i feel uh, um you know a calling in the sense that uh people are listening to me in some respect so i i have to get out there and get the right information and make sure i spread it to as many people as possible because uh i feel like we're we're at a turning point in many cases um that if if some of us don't stand up in a big way and and make waves and and get people involved that we could lose some of the stuff that we love dearly. And, and the last thing I want to see is Florida Bay lost. And, I, and I, the last thing I want is for my buddies on the West Coast and the East Coast to be in dire straits again in another summer. So um, I, I look at this as an opportunity to spread the conversation and to potentially you know, set people on the right path of, of doing the right thing for, for water in general in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. When you talk about putting people on the right path and, and, and getting people to take action, what, what do you think is, the, is really the, the take-home from this conversation of how people can get involved, whether they're Florida residents or residents of other states? Um, we've obviously stressed the importance, but at this point, what is it that, that people do? In your okay. opinion, it's um, it's twofold. It's very simple. One is get educated, and they can do that by going to CaptainsCleanWater.org, uh, EvergladesFoundation.org, and a number of other organizations that they can. They're all linked together uh, to get the actual science. Uh, I would highly recommend that they not read everything they believe everything they read on Facebook or Instagram, and that they go directly to those sources to get the real science. That's number one. And number two, get educated on the people they're voting for. Um, it's extremely easy to fall into someone's Kool-Aid, so to speak, as to what they're going to do for the state. But what you, the easiest way to find out how they're going to how they're going to react to the environment is to see who their donors are, and if they have special interests who benefit from controlling the water themselves, then they're going to do just that. How does somebody see that on a casual level? Like, you um, just, you if can... they go to those websites, that they will be educated enough to know who to look out for and some of those websites actually do rec- make recommendations for the the political parties that they should they should vote for but they also on those websites they're showing who the donors are because that's oh, public yes. that's public information it's all right? public information thank, thank god they haven't they haven't blocked us in that regard um 
it's 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 a shame that special special interests can make such high donations in any election whatsoever. But they do. Uh, very fortunately, it's public information. Have these special interest groups um, gotten savvy enough to change their name and, oh, yeah. and do all kinds of things? So how do, how do people know? Um, I would imagine that they could come up with. I mean, I mean, I know in the in the hunting in the in the anti hunting world, there's all kinds of kind of tricky names that ha- that that you really it looks like. Oh, this is a conservation organization, right. but it's absolutely not. They do. Um, what What are some that you need to watch out for? Or how can people learn about those so that they, when they, when they're looking at this person, they're like, okay, well, this guy uh, is in line with with all of these things I believe over here. Uh, let's see where he stands on the water. Oh, it looks like five special interest groups are are supporting him, but these look like conservation water associated groups. Uh, how would you know the difference? It's you don't. I mean, it's really difficult to to say over a podcast. You know how how to handle that. But what I do personally is I I go to captains and Everglades and Foundation and Bull Sugar and Everglades Trust and and I and I I read what I read what they are sharing as far as public information as to what those groups are. Um, and in a lot of cases, it becomes pretty easy to determine who's taking money from social mm-hmm. interests and who isn't. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody who's who's raised five million dollars in in campaign donations and four point five of it comes from three companies, that's a problem. And that person's never gonna be for the people. That person's for the companies who put them there. That's a really easy way to tell. And this election is not easy. There are a, a lot of, of the 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 opportunity, you know, the, po- the politicians who are for the right things in one area and who aren't in the other. Yeah. And it's extremely complicated, but I'll tell you this: from my standpoint, water is the biggest issue this year. Why talk about you know healthcare reform if there's no water next year? Um, why talk about you know low income housing if there's no water next year? Well, I think that you know, obviously, um, I feel the same way that you do, but I believe that uh, sometimes those are masking issues. Like somebody may be in line with with so many things that that you want, whether I mean whether whichever side of the aisle you're on or or no party or whatever, you're trying to pick the person that you're voting for, and certainly the people that are listening to this podcast, water is probably the most important if if it if it isn't, then maybe you happened upon this podcast accidentally, <laughs> but I'm sure that it is, you know, the most important issue for so many of the people that are listening here, but there are opportunities to vote Democrat, Republican, probably independent for someone who has water as part of their, as part of their, their plan once, if they were elected, right? Sure. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not a Republican Democrat issue. It's not, absolutely it's, not. it's really not a political issue except for, this person needs to be elected to really f- be able to flip the switch and help this this issue. Uh, I believe it has to be not their singular issue, but their main issue. Because as we alluded to earlier, our, our tourism industry is reliant on water. And it is in danger this year. Very fortunately, it's an election year. So we have the power as, peop- as the people of the state to make that change. Mm-hmm. And that change has a huge effect on how things get fixed in the next couple of years. So I'm begging everyone I talk to, to get educated on the person they like, to make sure they're not 
being put there by someone who stands to benefit from them being there and to make sure that they're going to put our environment, our estuaries, our watershed ahead of everything else um, because it's crucial. Anyone listening in Monroe County knows that this is a big issue. And my friend Steve Friedman is running for House Seat 120 uh, to take Holly Rothschild's seat. Holly was voted for SB10 last year, but in, 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 in our very humble opinion, she didn't fight. You know, if, if I was the House seat 120 representative and I was looking at Florida Bay in the state that it is, they, w- they would be so tired of hearing me talk about <laughs> fixing the water, they would kick me out of Tallahassee. And we need someone there who's going to fight for water mm-hmm. because it is without water in the Keys, what do we have? I mean, we're not farmers. Nothing. We have nothing. So we have to put Steve in office in Tallahassee. If, we, if Steve was in office last year when we were fighting for SB10, we wouldn't have had to fight. He would have got it done. And we need to have somebody in Tallahassee. And generally, the elections around the state for representatives is, are very much the same. We have grassroots um, pushes for people who just want to help fix the water. And so having Steve represent us in the Keys in Tallahassee is huge. You know, uh, and, and now you're, you're, you know, for people that might not know, Steve is a professional fishing guide as well. He is. Right. So he's a captain that, and I haven't talked to Steve, you, you gave me his information and I definitely want to call him and, and have him on the podcast as well. But he's someone that is feeling strongly enough about this, similar to um, Daniel and, and Chris that are working fishing guides that are willing to take a year off, two years off, the rest of their life off. Right. to dedicate to this issue. Is yeah, that- so Steve came with us uh, to Tallahassee in D.C. a few times last year and was moved. Uh, he understood, like I did, that our presence there was crucial. Um, they responded to what we had to say. And he he feels strongly, as I do, that if he was to get into Tallahassee, that he could make some extremely positive changes, not just for Monroe County, because a fishing guide in, in Tallahassee means that we're fixing water throughout the state. Mm. Um, and that's important dots to a couple dots to connect. But the other thing I want to mention about Steve is that he doesn't want to be a politician. He wants to fix the water so he can go back to work. Yeah. None of us guides want to fight for water for the rest of our lives. And Daniel and Chris don't want to be fighting for water for the rest of their lives. They want to be back, go back to fishing. I mean, that's what we're here for. That's what we grew up. That's what we love. Mm-hmm. And, um, but what we can't do, what I can't do, what Steve can't do is sit back and watch politicians take money from whoever and then not protect our water and, and do what's right for us. Yeah. And so now we, we've gone over two things. We, you know, get educated on the, on the issue with real science, and you gave the, the right places to go. Get educated on the people who are running and who you have an opportunity to vote for. And then are there other things that you would like to see people in the state of Florida, like Florida residents do? Absolutely. Um, you know, I was guilty of fertilizing my lawn for years, decades, because I loved seeing green grass. You know, but I love my water more than I love seeing green grass. And and the fact is, we get enough rain, my grass stays green regardless. I don't want to say all fertilizers are bad, but but generally they are. And everything you put on your grass gets into the aquifer, and our aquifer is damaged. Um, we already have pump stations on the east coast pumping up salt water. And that's because we don't have freshwater flow coming from the Everglades. The Everglades is the supplier of freshwater into our aquifer, and um, which we're working on, as we just discussed with the reservoir. Well, the salt water being pumped up that wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be associated with the with the fertilizer on the grass. That would be associated with no no water percolating into the ground, right? Correct. So there's a there's a 
quantity problem and then there's a a, a quality problem. It's it's both. Our aquifers damaged from both sides. Yeah. We we don't have uh, an influx of fresh water coming from the glades because we're starving it in the AAA. And and then we're polluting it with fertilizers that we put into our grass. So if it, we we have to attack this from all sides. As we said, it's a complicated, super complicated issue. It's not just the reservoir. If it was just the reservoir, you know, we'd be pitchforking Tallahassee right now and, you know, with and, and making sure the reservoir was built. But that's not. It's it's a combination of things. So as a Florida resident, you can, A, get educated on the facts. B, vote for the for the people who are going to fight for our environment. And C, stop fertilizing your yards as best you can. I'm sure there are some organic ways to do it. I, I don't know of them. But I've stopped completely. And my yard is green as, as anyone else in the in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I sleep better at night knowing that I'm not putting fertilizers in our aquifer. It's the water that we rely on. I mean, it's already, again, it's already being damaged by water flow, lack of water from the Everglades and, and the intrusion of, of salt water from the ocean. Mm-hmm. Now, what about people outside of the state of Florida, other, other state residents? Because I know that this is, you know, in talking to Daniel, I mean, he was saying, look, man, we need help from, it, it might be equally as important for people outside of the state to be aware of this issue and, and, and take action. So what would you like to see people do that are not state of Florida residents? <laughs> I stumbled sure. over all that, but state of Florida residents. Sure. I, we, I mean, half my clients are from out of state mm-hmm. and they are all captured clean water members. They all write their congressmen and their senators because, for example, the word of bill, which we're heavily relying on right now, is voted on and supported by congressmen and senators throughout the country. And they are all moved by our presence in D.C. Um, they understand how important it is for a fishing guide if they've taken days off of work in high season, which we did, and to show up in business suits and hats and, and go talk to them and plead for them. Um, so anyone outside of the state who, who ever has come, plans to come, or dreamt of coming, should should help us in the sense that they could simply write, go to go to the Captains for Clean Water page and fill out that form letter that goes directly to their congressman or their senator that begs them to please support the water bill and and the and, and the reservoir. Um, and that's something that everyone in this country can do right now. And that would be a, a huge positive impact. Yeah, and, and it's really super easy. I I think I was um I was about to do a um I think I might have I don't know. It, I was going to do a, an Instagram post of how long it took me to do it, but then I actually did it without doing the screen thing, but it took less than a minute. I mean, you go there, you put in your your uh, your name and address, and it, it pops up the two or three people that it's supposed to go to. You hit it, and then within, I don't know, an hour, I got a, I got a, uh, a letter from one of the elected officials. And it really doesn't take much time at all. That that goes a long way. That is a huge tool for Captains for Clean Water because I think a, a lot of people want to help. Everybody's kind of busy and they live in, you know, Kansas. It's kind of like, oh, I don't even know who my elected official is. And then it stops right there. Right. Where this, you don't have to know who your elected official is. You don't have to know. You don't have to remember between the time that you turn this podcast off and go onto your computer, what was the name of that bill? You don't have to know any of that. All of the stuff that Benny's been talking about and that we've been talking about on this podcast, it, it's all included in that letter. It's everything that your elected official needs to know to support this bill and to make sure that once these people are elected in Florida, and correct me if I'm not 
right here on the on the timeline here. But if we get the right people elected in Florida, then that kind of flips a switch, and then all of a sudden this bill can get funded, and actually, actually, we start seeing you know bulldozers and and things actually happening. We literally in the next six months can go from looking at bad water to physical construction happening on our reservoir to affect positive change immediately. And that's, that's the, that's the importance of this November and those emails that you're going to send before this happened. I didn't know who my elected official was right before I went to DC. I didn't know the power of a letter, but I do now I know. And I can tell you that the aides in every one of those offices count those letters and they're responsible. Their job is to report that to the actual congressman. And if we sent, 400 letters to Marco Rubio, he know about it. What is the effect of one letter coming from a guy in, in South Dakota? It's a mention. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a proof of reach. It's huge. I mean, one letter is huge. Yeah. I, I can tell you that we met with congressmen in, in California who, when we brought up the subject, said we, we've received letters on that regard. And do you know how great it was to walk into a congressman who already knew what was going on because he got a letter and wanted to find out what he was getting a letter about? Mm-hmm. And that person was 100% behind fixing the Everglades. They don't care about it. They're in California. But they understand the importance of saving our national parks and our water in the state of Florida and how that affects the overall economy in the country. So one letter makes a big difference. I would encourage everyone, take, take a minute. It takes a minute. It really does. And it's captainsforcleanwater.org. That's the website, www.captainsforcleanwater.org. And there's a place on the website that says, take action, I think. If it doesn't say take action, it, it does. Uh, it's, right on the, it's, right on the, it's right on the header. And uh, you take action and make, it's, it's maybe two clicks. And it goes straight to that form from the menu at top. But please take action. You know, the Everglades is, is super important. Some of the people listening may never have been to the Everglades. And the Everglades is super awesome. It's amazing. It is it is a beautiful place, and it's one of those places that I just think of as as a no lose place. As a fishing guide, you're going to take your people to the Marquesas. You're going to take your people to the Everglades. You really, it really doesn't matter if you catch any fish. It's beautiful. You're going to see alligators, crocodiles. You're going to see birds of all kinds. The fishing is likely to be really, really good, but it's just some natural beauty that is is deserving of being a national park. And for me, it's super important to think about my kids being able to continue to go there and see the things that they've seen as as I've gr- they've grown up and I've taken them up in there. It's also super important to be thinking about grandchildren and great-grandchildren being able to do that because that's really the, uh, you know, a national park is is put into place for that so that it'll always be protected. But in the case of the Everglades, if the if the water that flows through there is disrupted or polluted, then unlike something like, I don't know, a different national park that just has one single river running through it and the natural beauty is the mountains and all this other stuff that's somewhat associated with that river, but not entirely, the Everglades is a 150-mile-wide river of grass. I mean, that's, that's, what, it, that's what it is. It, what it was at one point was a laminar flow of just this sheet flow, like Benny said, and that can be restored through your action. So I think it's super exciting really to think that in six months, there could be some major, major changes. And for one, I want to thank you and honor you for your fight and what you're doing for all of us, really, because 
you know, there's a lot of people that say that they, you know, this is their number one priority. There are very few people that are actually going to Washington and actually taking time out of their life like Chris and Daniel to, um, like you said, they've stopped guiding. They're doing this full time. You are doing <laughs> guiding 300 days on top of fighting for this, on top of filming this TV show, on top of leaving your family and coming and doing this podcast, on and on and on. But the least that we can do, if you're if you're at all concerned about the Everglades, is, is to please take action. Follow these groups on social media so that you're you're well aware of what what is going on, what the most important actions are. And when there is a big call to action like there was two weeks ago, and it's still not too late to be to writing these letters. So if you're new to this issue, go to Captains for Clean Water and, and fill out the form and send that letter. But follow Captains for Clean Water. Who else would you recommend following? Everglades Foundation. Everglades Foundation. Um, Bull Sugar. Bull Sugar. Everglades Trust. Bonefish Tarpon Trust. And Now and Everglades. Now and Everglades. Yeah. Follow all those groups, and you can be really educated on this issue. And uh, the steps that Benny outlined, get educated on the issue. Be educated on who you who you have a chance to vote for. Stop putting fertilizer on your lawn. And if you're outside of the state of Florida, man, send the letter. It really makes a difference. Absolutely. Tom, right. thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for inviting me and allowing my, me a platform to talk about water. We need every you know everyone to get involved, so I appreciate it. Yeah, well, you're the ones that are out there fighting. If I can do anything to put your message out there, I'm happy to do it. It's just as important to me as it is as it is to you guys. And we each have a way that we can participate in this to make big difference. Maybe my way is to bring people like you onto the podcast or onto our television show. Your way may be to create a new television show. The listener's way might be to write that one letter. Uh, but everybody pulls together and we can make a major difference in this issue. Benny, thank you for your time. My and, pleasure. Uh, we'll do it again. Thank you, Benny, Chris Whitman, Daniel Andrews, and all of the guys that are working so hard to protect the Everglades. Please join Captains for Clean Water and check out all the other organizations and groups that we discussed in this episode. Do us all a favor. Take action and become educated. All right. We'll see you next week. anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv